following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. You know, I'm uh, reading through the Old Testament right now. I'm reading through the Bible again this year. And this time I'm doing something I've never done before. I have a Bible and I'm underlining every time I see the word way or walk. Because the best way to understand the Christian life, life itself, uh, I know from Scripture is that we need to understand that we are on a journey that we're pilgrims, that we're exiles on this earth, and every step is a step on a path, either the right path or the wrong path, toward a particular destination, that we are called people of the way. It may uh, surprise you, and perhaps Jordan has shared this in teaching the book of Acts, there are only three times in the entire Bible where the word Christian is used. In all three times, it's believed it's said in a derogatory way by outsiders. Uh, you studied in the book of Acts, I know you're studying that right now, that the Christians uh, uh, were first called Christians at Antioch, or the believers were ca first called believers in Antioch, and it's believed it was a derogatory term like those Christ ones. And then um, uh, also Felix says, do you think in such a short time you're going to persuade me to become a Christian, a Christ one, said by a non-believer. And then in Peter, First uh, Peter, Peter says, listen, if anybody suffers for being a Christian, uh, just glorify your, in, that, in that name. Not that it's something that we're ashamed of. Don't be ashamed of it, but glorify that that would happen. But by far, we're going to look in the book of Acts, six times the book of Acts, the early church, Speaks, uh, are spoken of as people that are part of the way. People that are on a particular path with a certain destination and they went through a particular gate to get there. At the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, we have it on the screen or you can open up your Bibles, there's this little statement where Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. Now let's stop for a moment on the word enter. To enter means you make a decision. You take a step toward that particular gate. You want to go through it. You have a personal responsibility. We all know that famous statement by Yogi Berra, when you come to a fork in the road, what do you do? You take it. You just don't stand there. My mother used to say, if we leave the door open, she'd say, in or out, close the door. Same way with the refrigerator. Open, you know, get something out of there and close the door. I'm certain that happens here. You kids, that's your part of the sermon. Close the door. <laughs> uh, but Jesus said we have a decision to make. We need to enter by the narrow gate. Now that gate would have been the teachings of Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount. He says you have a decision to make. For the gate is wide and the way, there's that word way, uh, is easy. That leads to destruction. Wow, we don't want to be on that road, do we? It leads to destruction. 
But it says that it's an easy way. And uh, then it goes on and says, and those who enter by it are many. Well, there's a big lesson for us. A lot of times we think, well, the majority's making the right decision. Quite frankly, biblically, the majority is almost always wrong. Really, how many spies went into the promised land to check it out? Twelve, right? How many made the right decision? Two. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the two that made the right decision, their names Joshua and Caleb. Somebody named those other ten guys. <laughs> we don't know, right? Those aren't the guys we want to emulate. We want to make... We want to make certain that we follow the guys who made the right decision of faith. And then if we look at the rest of this verse, it says, For the gate is narrow. Interesting term. Some of you may uh, have had some back problems and you were told that you had stenosis of the spine. The word narrow there is stenos. The, way, the, the gate is narrow or stenographer. It's abbreviated. It's tight. And... It's narrow, and the way is hard. Hard. Speaking about the Christian life, that it's hard. I hope you didn't buy into that little song, Climb, Climb Up, Sunshine Mountain, Faces All Glow. <laughs> it's just a walk in the park. No, no. It says it's hard. That leads to life, and those who find it are few. Wouldn't you say that? That people... No matter what the statistics show in the barn reports on how many people claim, okay, yeah, I, I identify with the Christian faith, those that have truly entered through the gate and are walking the right path to the right destination and are willing to put up with the difficult journey of it all, they're few. The, uh, the way is easy versus hard. You know, we just had this class in here on uh, Israel, the, the land, and... Uh, I shared the most amazing thing. You can put three and a half nations of Israel inside the state of Indiana. That's how little that country is. And um, you take the Jordan River. It meanders about 200 miles over 130 miles. And it begins clear up at Mount Hermon, the tallest, oh, 9,200 feet above sea level. The, the uh, snowfall comes down or the snow melt forms the Jordan River, which means to descend, and it descends clear down 130 miles later to the lowest spot on planet Earth, the Dead Sea. Now, any fish swimming downstream, descending, they're going to end up dead in the Salt Sea. If they want to live, they're going to have to swim upstream against the flow. What it's saying is, Christian life, it's a swim against the flow. Most people just go with the flow, go with the majority. But those who really mean business with Jesus, they've repented, that is, they turned, and now they're going upstream against the, against the flow of what is natural to ourselves. I take that to be what really means by hard. You know, it does say in Scripture, the way of the sinner is hard. And quite frankly, I think the Christian life is actually easier because you don't get yourself in so much trouble. But it's hard in this way. It goes against our grain. It, it, our selfishness, our, our natural intent, it's, it's opposite. And the minority is willing to pay that kind of a price. 
and start on a new way on a new journey. And it really does matter. Look at, it's uh, the, the gate you go through and the path you follow, they, they finally have the last step. And that last step is either one of destruction or one of, of life. And even the path itself will start to show death or life as you make that journey. If, and um, let me just share with you this theme throughout Scripture. Listen to just a few verses out of Psalm 119 alone. I am a sojourner on this earth. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Lead me into the path of your commands. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. We choose the gate. We choose to be faithful on the right road. I hold my feet back from every evil way. And I hate every false way. You know, one of my favorite guys in the Bible is King Jotham. There's only nine verses about Jotham in First Chronicles, but it says this. Jotham became mighty because he walked steadfastly before the Lord his God. One translation, the ESV says, he ordered his steps steadily before the Lord his God. He took responsibility for how he lived his life. We have to as well. We have a choice to make. What, what gate are we going to go through? What path are we going to follow? And so much, I think we just let life happen rather than take responsibility. Okay, I'm going to choose. Such as Alice in Wonderland. Listen to the conversation between Alice and the cat. Would you tell me, please, Alice asked the cat, which way I ought to go from here. Let's stop there just for a moment. I don't know where you're at in your journey, but let me ask you this. Which way ought you to go from here? Not because it's me, but the fact that you're here and you're hearing this sermon makes you more responsible, <laughs> more light, rejected, more responsibility. Which way ought we to go from here? When we walk out, what gate do we want to go through? What path do we want to go on? What destination do we want to get to? Well, listen to the answer. Well, that depends a good deal upon where you want to get to, said the cat. I don't much care where, said Alice. Well, then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. Well, as long as I get somewhere, Alice added. Oh, you're sure to do that, said the cat. If you only walk long enough, you will get somewhere. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? We're walking and we're going to get somewhere. And if we're not intentional about it, the outcome won't be good. So, Jesus said all of that and that narrow road is himself as well. Acts 4, if you don't think this is swimming upstream in our culture, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given amongst men where, by which men can be saved. 
Contrary to what the world would say, Jesus said there's only one gate, there's only one way, there's only one path. And the book of Acts says, and that's Jesus himself. He's the only one that will lead you to salvation. That is not a popular statement. That's going against the flow. Well, speaking about going against the flow, six times I share with you in the book of Acts alone, this, or in the book of Acts, the early Christians were called people of the way. We're going to look at those real quickly and look at how popular this road is. And um, <clears throat> it says that, um, first of all, uh, in Acts 2, 9-2, Saul asked the high priest this, for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any that belonged to the way, anybody who belongs to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? Paul was the first one to use that expression. He said there are people and they belong to the way. People that have chosen a particular path and that's what the early Christians were first called. And it wasn't popular. This was Paul. And he said, I want to destroy these people that got on that path and follow that person who called himself the way, which we'll get to later. The next passage, it says this in Acts, but when some became stubborn and continued in their unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation... He withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannius. That happened in the book or in uh, the city of Ephesus. Paul was discipling there, and uh, people became stubborn and continued in their unbelief. And these were the Jews that didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. People from within religion were against this and spoke evil of the way. Now, not just Judaism that don't believe in the Messiah being Jesus, but people will speak evil of the way. I just read this morning where the second airport in the United States has banned Chick-fil-A from building in that airport because of their stand on the teaching of the way on the definition of marriage. Now they lie about it and say that Chick-fil-A says all kinds of things against gays and so forth. They don't. They're just saying this is what we believe about, uh, go on record about uh, what a, defines a marriage according to Scripture. Because of that, they're called hateful and divisive. And I promise you, and it's going to get a whole lot worse, these children here, I think they're going to have a rougher time than we did. Um, if you take a stand on such issues, you're going to be called divisive and hateful. How could you possibly say that? People will speak evil of you, and they will exaggerate as they do with Chick-fil-A. They'll want to deny you the right to your own beliefs. It's nothing new under the sun. It was happening way back then in the book of Acts in the city of Ephesus. We look at the next, next time this occurs, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way in Acts uh, 19.23. What was this disturbance? Well, this was uh, the silversmiths. 
the Apostle Paul had a lot of people that were leaving the worship of Artemis, and there were these, these men that, people that made Artemis idols, and it was going to cut into their business. And it didn't cause any little disturbance. It caused a big disturbance. The business establishment didn't like it. When people left the Broadway and got on the narrow path and started following Jesus and his ways, it affected them economically. And as they always say, follow the money, right? If it affects the pocketbook, then you're going to get people's dandruff up. And that happened to Paul, the Apostle Paul in that city. And then, uh, sp speaking of Paul, in Acts 22, verse 4, Paul's testimony, he says this, I persecuted this way. Again, he calls it this way. To the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. Wow. This was uh, Paul speaking about, at one time, I was on the wrong path. I had gone through the wrong gate. I was on the wrong path. Thought I was doing the right thing, honoring God. I was very zealous for God, but I was just wrong. And then I uh, had my conversion experience on the road to Damascus, he goes on and talks about. But I, I was persecuting the way. The word uh, persecute was used of a hound dog chasing down prey. I was a hound dog after Christians until I became one. You know, I've often thought the Apostle Paul, think of this, as he would travel and speak, say, come here, and uh, people would be amazed that this man had had such a dynamic conversion. But there would pe pe be people in that audience that could look at him and say, you drug my mother out of the house, took her down to Jerusalem and killed her. Maybe Stephen's children were in the audience and they said, you watched the coats of those who stoned my father. How did Paul live with that? He'd just have to say it's all under the blood. Oh, the reckless love of God, right? Extravagant, over the top. Um, appears extravagant to us. And the Apostle Paul said, I was the chief of sinners, and yet God's grace was enough for even me. Then in Acts 24, 14, it says this, But this I confess to you, that according to the way, another translation says, as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down in the law and written in the prophets. If we look at this, he's uh, defending himself, and he's saying that you think of Christianity as a sect of Judaism, like a break-off group. No, no, it, it flows out of it. We've been grafted in. And he says, don't get me wrong, I believe everything that was laid down in the law and written in the prophets. I don't know if you follow current trends in Christianity today, but a big trend today is this, that we need to, quote, unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament and uh, just pick up at Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. 
uh, because all that stuff in the Old Testament is it's a, it's a roadblock between people coming to Christ. Well, actually, Jesus is on every page of the Old Testament. If you think the Old Testament has some rough stuff in it, try Revelation when he comes back. Um, Paul said, I haven't unhitched myself from the law and the prophets. No, no. But I, I see it all finding its fulfillment in the way Jesus Christ. And it's not a sect, not a break-off group. It's interesting that three times the word Christian is used, but also in the book of Acts, it says this about the Apostle Paul. Hey, weren't, aren't you that ringleader of that sect of the Nazarenes? <laughs> That's a derogatory statement too. They were saying, the non-believing Jews, you're a part of that sect, that follows that, quote, Messiah from Nazareth. And that was not a kind statement to say, um, it, to be a Nazarene. It was said derogatorily, and yet 17 times in Scripture, Jesus is called Jesus of Nazareth. You know, uh, not long ago, I did a wedding out on um, about an hour west of Chicago in, it actually was at a working farm. It was beautiful. They had renovated a chicken coop and they got married in a chicken coop and then went to the barn for the reception. It was beautiful, but it was a working farm surrounded by corn and bean fields. This was uh, last fall. And the girl married a guy from New Jersey. And so all these people from New Jersey were there and the groom's mother had a little bit too much to drink. And she got up, she wanted to say a few words and she looked around and she says, you know, back in New Jersey, everybody calls you people the flower people. Well, I tell you what, you're worth something. You give us corn and beans. <laughs> you feed us. And she went on, it was like, is this a compliment or not? You know? <laughs> And uh, you need to understand that down in Jerusalem, they might say, well, the Galilee is worth something. It's fertile. We get our food from there. But the people themselves are all country bumpkins, you know? It's like, you know, whenever I am setting something up and you're talking to somebody on the phone and they want your address. My address is Bremen, Indiana. Why do they always want to call it Bremen? <laughs> and then we're Bremenites, you know, or whatever, you know. Uh, you just need to understand that when they said, you're of the sect of the Nazarenes, again, Christianity, the way, the people on it, the minority report going against, going back up to Mount Hermon, where that refreshing snow is at, we are few. And we're not popular, and we never have been. We are of the sect of the Nazarene. We're, uh, we're those Christ ones. But we ought to say, I am a follower of the way. I've chosen that path. Here's another one. Before Felix, Paul says this, but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, those that had brought Paul 
before the trial there in Caesarea, saying, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I'll decide your case. Now, this is an amazing statement here. Felix, the governor, had had the privilege of learning all about these people who called themselves the way. That means this. He had an accurate understanding of who Jesus claimed to be. He knew all about the death, the burial, the, re quote, resurrection of Jesus. And, uh, but he put off the accusers, and it says, I'll, I'll put it off to later, and I'll try you later. Boy, that's amazing, because it, what it's saying is this. We can have an accurate understanding of the right path and the person who called himself the way. But we don't want to decide. We don't want to open or close the refrigerator door. We don't want to be in or out. We don't want to make the decision. We want to leave our options open. And there comes a day in which it won't happen. It says later on when Listus comes down. Well, he didn't. And I tell you what, he never got to try Paul, but Jesus tried Felix. No, one day, Jesus will decide his case. Jesus, the one who was tried for him. You got to make a decision. You know, I, uh, I just read this and... Uh, that my parents both recently passed away, and these were some of their favorite words. The two that I'm using, but it, I saw this on Facebook. It says, I hate it when people accuse me of dilly-dallying around when I'm clearly not dilly-dallying around. I'm lollygagging around. <laughs> Get it right. <laughs> so I want to ask you, do you have a rather accurate understanding of the way? You could pass a theology exam on who Jesus is. Um, but you're putting it off? You're spiritually dilly-dallying around, lollygagging around? You say, well, I'll put it off till. Well, that day may, may, may never come. As Shakespeare said, come ye slower, come ye fast, it is but death that comes at last. And Death typically doesn't set up an appointment. <laughs> Comes unexpectedly. Well, all this goes back to a statement Jesus picked up on. If we go to the next passage, you see Jesus being steeped in all of what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. He knew that there's this dominant theme all throughout Scripture that speaks about the two ways. We see it all through the Proverbs. Uh, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Uh, Psalm 1, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth the way of sinners, sent to the seats of scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's where the right path is. So Jesus... Being a rabbi, too, would have used and did use this whole theme about the choices in life being two. There's the right way, there's the wrong way. There's the right path, the wrong path. The right gate, the wrong gate. The right crowd, the wrong crowd. And don't think the majority 
is always right. Because <laughs> typically they aren't. That gate is hard and narrow, stenosis, because it boils down to one person. And that will actually get you in even more trouble. There's supposed to be all these various paths to God. And who are you to say that any others are wrong? But with time, it'll show whether they're on the right path or not. Because Jesus said to him, that's to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So whenever you speak about the exclusivity of Jesus and somebody gets upset, say, hey, don't get upset at me, get upset at Jesus. He's the one who said it. And by the way, the way it reads in the original, I and I only am the and the only way. And I am the and the only truth and I am the and the only life. No one gets to the Father except through me. I'm the gate to the Father. I'm the road. If you had known me, you would have known my Father too. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Jesus said, listen, when you accept me, you need to understand that you've accepted the way, the way to live, and the truth and the life. You know, today, one of the things that's startling is there's this new term called uh, true truth. Because people say, so many people say something's true and it's not true. Now you have to say, well, this is true truth. <laughs> um, you know, it's either 12 inches or in, is a foot or it's not, right? You don't have to say this is a true, true ruler. <laughs> Unless, uh, well, I've seen that fisherman's ruler. It's this long. It's got got 46 inches in it, you know, in a fisherman's ruler. That's not true truth. Speaking about the way, the truth, and life, listen to this. In the book of Acts, Aquila and Priscilla explain to Apollos the way of God more fully. There is a way, and it is the way of God. Peter calls Christianity the way of truth in 2 Peter 2.2. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, Jesus calls his broken body the new and living way. There's this new and living way to the Father. Not by rules and regulations, it's a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And I submit to you that over time, a person who says there's these, all these various ways to God, watch their lives. With time, you'll see that they're not living out truth. And this is not life. Their, their lives don't work. With time, although it's a hard way, True followers of Jesus Christ on the right way, they'll, they're, they're now in the way of God. It, it, it's like following the instruction manual that you get. And although it's difficult, life tends to work. It's the way the Creator designed the creation to work. 
And because uh, he's for us, he's not against us. And with time, you, you start to realize, you know, I am on the right path. And, and, and I'm on the right way. I went through the right gate. I'm with the right crowd. <laughs> and we're going in the right direction. And I'm not worried about my destination. And everything else is flowing past you. Don't be surprised by that. Don't, don't be surprised if the crowds get bigger and bigger and bigger, going the opposite way. Um, just know that, that you're going the right way. You know, I heard a joke once about a guy named Johnny lived way back in the hills, and he had a, a violin, or I guess they call it a fiddle back there, and he had one string left, and he just played one note over and over again. Well, his wife went downtown. There was a guy playing on the street. He had all, is it five strings or six on it? Well, he had all the strings. <laughs> he was all over that thing. He, she came back and said, Johnny, I, I saw a guy had six strings, five strings, whatever, and he's playing all kinds of notes. He said, yeah, well, he's looking for it, and I found it. <laughs> that right note. Well, maybe on a violin you want more strings, but I tell you what. Jesus said, take it up with him. I'm the only note. I'm the only string. I'm the only way to the Father. And nobody gets to the Father except through me. So um, the cat was correct talking to Alice. With time, it's going to be evident whether you're on the right path or not. And it really, really does matter like that Robert Frost poem that is supposedly the, the number one poem in the United States in popularity. And there's a lot of debate over what he meant by it. But I don't think we can ever question what the last phrase means when it says this. Two roads diverged into a wood. And I... I took the one less traveled by. And that's made what? All the difference. Two gates, two paths, two destinations diverge into our futures outside these doors. And uh, we have to make a choice. And I chose the one less traveled by. It's made all the difference. How about you? Are you a person of the way? Amen? Followers of Jesus, the way, the truth, and life, who is the new and living way to the Father who tore down the petition by his blood, which we're going to celebrate here in just a moment. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the simplicity of the Word of God, bringing it down to our level. We understand this. Father, we're responsible. We have a more accurate understanding of the way, uh, just like Felix did, but he put it off. I pray we don't. That right now, in the quietness of our hearts, we would maybe commit ourselves or recommit ourselves to being a follower of Jesus, who is the way, and that we would get on that path and... Uh, Swim upstream, walk upstream against the tide of this world to the final destination of hearing, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, Father, as we take communion, may we uh, realize that 
you have made it possible to be one with the Father through the blood and the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all people of the way said, Amen. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab. 